This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I am senior writer Ryan Kennedy with senior writer Ken Campbell. Old man Larkin is off today, so we're going to party in his absence, but uh, thinking about you, Maddie. A uh, lot going on, Ken. Let's start with the Stanley Cup final. We are now two games deep. The series is knotted at one. Based on your prediction before the series, is is everything going uh, according to plan? Do you still feel pretty confident in, in how you thought this was going to happen? Well, I, I had said Tampa and six, and, uh, and I think this is going to be at least a six-game series. Um, you know, I feel a lot more confident in that prediction after game two. Uh, than I did after game one. But uh, yeah, I, I still think that the Lightning, um, you know, they, they just, if, if they play the game the way they can play it and with their talent level, I just think they have the better team. I think they have the better uh, chance to, to win. Um, I think, you know, I mean, for, for the, like for games five and six of the Islander series and for game one of the Stanley Cup final, I really thought, the Tampa Bay Lightning got away from their identity. Um, you know, like it was like, yeah, okay, you can, you guys can play defense. We get it. You know, we get it. Okay. We, we understand. Okay. But, but you know what, you've got to, at some point, you've got to start getting traffic in front of the net. You've got to start pushing the pace. You've got to start making Kudoba move around. I thought they did a lot of that in game two um, that they weren't doing in game one and they, that they weren't doing in games five and six of the Islanders series. Um, so I think if, if, you know, if Kucherov plays the way he played in game two and their big guns show up the way they did in game two, um, I think their big guns are, are, are too much for Dallas to handle. Fair enough. Now I did pick Dallas in six and I, you know what, I still feel okay about that. I mean, obviously on paper, Tampa Bay is the better team. I agree with you there, but I, I don't think Dallas is out of it based on how they came back in game two, obviously a wretched first period for them. And, you know, Matthias Janmark said it like they couldn't have played worse. So obviously that's where the, uh, the big second period came back for them. But I, I almost look at Dallas's game two, the way Tampa did with their game one, where right. it's like, okay, this is not us. We're, we're better than this. We got to get rolling again. And then, you know, with Tampa Bay, particularly with the power play. And, and as you mentioned, Kucherov, they rebounded very well. I feel that this Dallas team could have a very big game three. I think they were embarrassed with that first period. And this is a team with a lot of pride. And I also think this is kind of their identity in a way in these playoffs is that every once in a while, Gudobin's not going to save them. He, he's going to look mortal. And then he bounces back. And, you know, I think we've seen that to a lesser extent with Vasilevsky as well. Obviously, he had a, a very good game, too. But I, I think Dallas is – they're still there. And they're, oh, yeah. they're not the favorite. They're certainly the underdog. But I, I, I don't think this was like a balloon popping. I, I still have faith that the Stars could pull off the upset. Yeah, I mean, Kudobin got pulled in one of the games in the, in the Vegas series. And then he responded by stopping 38 of 40. Um, in the next game and then went on a run of four straight wins where his save percentage was like 960. So, you know, and, and I don't even think he was at fault in game two. Like he just got beat. They just sort of pierced the armor, but I don't think he was at fault. But, you know, if I'm Dallas, like, I mean, do you know how many playoff points Tyler Sagan has? It's probably about eight. 10 or 11. Eight. Eight? 
He's getting outscored by Jamie Oleksiak. He's got eight points. Yeah. I mean, they've both got eight points, but Jamie Oleksiak has three goals, which is more than Tyler Sagan has. Like, they got to start getting more out of out of Sagan and Radulov. I mean, Ben has been great, and I thought he was really good in game two, really physical and took advantage, you know, really, really sort of capitalized on a lot of opportunities. But, I mean, come on. You, you, your guy – I mean, you can't – you can't continue to rely on, you know, otherworldly goaltending and your defenseman to carry you offensively. That's just not a recipe that works and that succeeds. And if the Dallas Stars are going to get back in this series, there's a couple of guys that are that are just going to have to step up their game and, and start performing a little better. Fair enough. Now, sticking with the Stanley Cup final, one of the huge X factors that – uh, comes up every day or so is will Steven Stamkos return to the lineup for Tampa Bay? He has been out with injury since February. Uh, it would be a humongous layoff if he were to return. Um, if he's healthy, should he return, Ken? I, I think he should, absolutely. I, I think that's a chance you take. And, and I get sort of the other side of it is that, you know, you've been on this role, you know, and, 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 you know, does it, does it, you know, it bumps somebody out of the lineup and then it affects team chemistry. It affects, you know, structure and all that other stuff. But for me, you know, I mean, he's your captain. He's one of the most, still one of the most dynamic goal scorers in, in the NHL. Um, if for no other reason, just to put him on that flank on the, on the power play, for those one timers, um, you know, their power play was abysmal before game, th- before game two of the final. Um, they, you know, they got it together in game two of the final scored two of the, two of their three goals were on the power play. Um, so they seem to get that back on track, but I, I still think it's worth the risk. I, I don't think a guy like Steven Stamkos is going to come in and, and demand that he play 22 minutes a game right off the bat. Like I think he would realize he'd have to be eased in and, you know, you, you wouldn't want to really, you know, mess with a lot of the good things that you have. And I think Stephen Stamkos is mature enough and smart enough to realize that. So I, I think it's worth the risk for sure. Yeah. You know, when I looked at Tampa Bay's lineup for game two, Carter Verhage played seven minutes and one second. Yeah. Now, if you just plunk Stamkos in, even on the fourth line, but then give him that power play time, as you suggested – Maybe that's 10 minutes of ice time, 11 minutes, depending on how many power plays they get and how successful they are. If you think about the upgrade of having Steven Stamkos on the fourth line and you still have Kucherov, Point, Sorelli, all those big guns up front, I mean, that's a very nice advantage for Tampa Bay. And just in terms of you know, having a fresh guy who obviously wants to contribute. I'm sure he's just champing at the bit to, to get in there. Um, we have never seen the Stanley Cup awarded to somebody in sweatpants before. And, uh, <laughs> perhaps this will be the year, or perhaps Stamkos will be in uniform uh, if the Lightning are su- successful. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I like that you use champing and not chomping, first of all. Champing at the bit, because that yeah. is what you're supposed to say. Um, and secondly... Like, let's turn it around, right? So let's say Steven Stamkos is, is fit to play and they don't play him mm. and they lose. Mm. Like, like the second guessing would be enormous. Like you had this guy, yeah. possibly a future Hall of Famer, 
Rocket Richard winner. Oh, yeah, Rocket Richard winner, ace on the part. You had access to this guy, and you didn't play him? What were you thinking? I think the second guessing would be way worse that way than if they played him and mm. things went sideways, which I don't think it will. Yeah, I guess the worst-case scenario is that Stamkos is finally cleared on the eve of Game 7. <laughs> and then John Cooper's like, ah, why now? <laughs> All right, coin flip time. Yeah. Um, no matter how this series shakes out, uh, we are already looking ahead to the 2020-21 season, which is officially my least favorite year to say out loud. Um, so the big question right now is it really seems like the NHL is hell-bent on an 82-game schedule. Is that feasible? Is it going to happen, Ken? Well, you know... My late mom, bless her soul, always used to say, you can't have your cake and eat it too, which I never understood. Like, so what's the point of even cooking, baking the cake if you can't eat it as well as have it? But anyway, so she always used to say that. And this is, this is where, this is kind of what I'm getting at with the NHL. Gary Bettman said in his State of the Union before the Stanley Cup final that they'll be starting He's, he already acknowledged that December 1st probably isn't going to happen. It's pr he said, you know, may slide into December, maybe January. Some people are even talking about February. Um, and, and he admitted, like, he has no idea because they have no idea where COVID's going. They have no idea where, where a vaccine is going, where testing is going, you know, that kind of thing. So they really don't know. They're into the unknown here, right? So, I mean, he's, he also said he doesn't like the, the idea of summer hockey. As far as you know, uh, you know it had to be done this year, but he doesn't want this to sort of start jamming up seasons and having to play into the summer. So, I mean, if you're going to start that late and you don't want to play in the summer, 82 games is probably not feasible. Um, you know, I doubt it's feasible. But on the other hand, <laughs> on the other hand, I, I'm after this. I am not betting against the NHL. I'm not betting against Gary Bettman to be able to pull something off because I didn't think they were going to be able to pull this one off. Like I, I really thought at the very least there would be pauses, hiccups, um, you know, positive tests here and there, outbreaks that they'd have to deal with. You know, I, I, I had, I was dubious as to whether or not they were even going to be able to finish this thing. Um, and it has not only gone off, it's gone off without a hitch. 32,000 something tests without a single positive, nobody getting out of the bubble. You know, I mean, they have done this right. And so, I, I mean, I'm not going to bet against them. Yeah, for me, I'm wondering if just for the one season, you go down to like 70 games. And obviously, the, the longer you can wait, the better chance you have to have fans in the stands. And, you know, maybe even five months from now, six months ago, there's a vaccine and you can have 100% attendance, which would be obviously the, the best case scenario. I think there's got to be some flexibility in the schedule, if possible, because, I mean, you're not going to have every team in a bubble. Uh, they're going to be out in public, which obviously would make testing and, um, you know, everything surrounding that a, a lot more difficult. So I think you have to recognize that you might have to delay some games. Um, you know, there might be some teams that have to go into quarantine if you start too early and there are, you know, uh, cases with players or equipment staff or really anybody. I mean, if you think about how many people 
are involved in a regular hockey game presentation, you know, I, I think we talked about this a while ago and there was an estimate that, you know, it, it gets into the hundreds, really, if you're going to have an arena that's at full capacity. So I, I think if there's some built-in flexibility, that would certainly help. Maybe get a little creative with the schedule where, you know, you have some sort of kickoff tournament um, where there's, you know, everybody gets back in and then you almost step back for a week or two. I know that's horrible for momentum purposes, but again, we're not living in normal times. 70 games also gives the players uh, fewer back-to-backs and they are going to be back to traveling hypothetically. And we also have to consider, you know, what is the situation with the border? What's the situation with airline travel? You know, these are all great unknowns. I, I agree with you. The NHL did a fantastic job and, you know, having the bubble was obviously the way to go because of the amount of control they had. And it was very successful because of that. I think they're going to, ha- and, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure they've already had these conversations is, you know, there's going to have to be even more diligence when you're going back to a quote unquote normal season. Um, if they have to start with no fans or very few fans, I think, I think they would do it. They wouldn't be happy about it, but they would do it knowing that, you know, they, they got to get things started. You got your TV ratings, you got your corporate sponsors that would be, you know, totally fine with having product to advertise with. And then if you can ease fans in, obviously that's best for everybody involved financially. And, and you'd also don't want to go too late because, you know, there's a lot to determine before the next season when Seattle comes in. Yeah. The, the thing I've learned about Gary Bettman is that he never says anything really off the cuff. Uh, but in his, in his, uh, in his uh, dress before the final, he did actually sort of muse. And, and I don't think it was amusing. Uh, I, it wasn't um, a, a thing, amusing. amusing. Um, he said, he sort of put it out there that, you know, perhaps we start with no fans. Then we transition into socially distanced fans. And then we have full, fa- full, full buildings by the end. Mm-hmm. I think that is what the NHL wants. Uh, would, would like to, I, I think that's what they're envisioning at this point. Like, what do you, so, but what do you do? Like, do you have an all Canadian division so mm. that you keep all the teams in Canada and all the teams in the U S so the, the border becomes, doesn't become a mitigating factor. Right. Right. Um, you know, do you do that? Um, you know, I mean, you look at the NHL and the reason why it had success was because of the bubble. Right. So once they deviate from that, then you look at what happened in baseball especially at the beginning. I mean, there were, it was, uh, it was not good, <laughs> you know? So um, lots of moving parts, lots of stuff to consider. I mean, you play a 70 game season or a 50 game season, do you pay the players their full salaries, you know, revenues? I mean, it, there are so many, there are so many unknowns here that it's, and, and Batman said, you know, anything that anybody's saying right now is just speculation. You know, I think the NHL is focused on getting through, this and then they're going to sit down and roll up their sleeves and figure out what they're going to do about next season and but but again so much of it is, is out of their control as a, as a governor told me it's all up to medicine right now it's yeah. up to medicine and and the, in terms of medicine you're talking about vaccine and or a test that is cheap and quick and mm-hmm. until one of those comes along we're in a whole world of uncertainty 
Fair enough. Let's get uh, let's get to awards season now. The NHL uh, announced all the winners of the major awards last night. And uh, Leon Dreisaitl is your Hart Trophy winner. Also won the Ted Lindsay, picked by the players. Uh, but the Hart Trophy, now, because debate is fun and we do it all the time, um, was Leon, Leon Dreisaitl certainly the best offensive player in the NHL this year, certainly the most talented. Was he the most valuable in your mind? Uh, not in my mind, because I didn't, I didn't choose him as number one on my ballot. I think I had him either number two or three. My, my, my pick was Artemi Panarin. Mm. And, and to me, um, if you want to say, if you, you know, I mean, it's, it's been a constant, you know, battle between best player, most valuable player, best. I, I thought Artemi Panarin was both mm. this year. You know, I mean, he, he, what he did with the players with whom he played, I thought was remarkable. Um, so to me, he was the MVP. Leon Dreisaitl was a consideration. He was up there, but in my mind, you know, when you look at what Panarin did as opposed with what he had, as opposed to what Dreisaitl did with what he had, to me, it was a pretty clear choice. And to me, it was Panarin. Mm, Fair enough. My vote was Nathan McKinnon. And, uh, obviously I voted before the playoffs began, but I felt very good about my pick after the playoff run uh, for Colorado. Uh, the reason I went with McKinnon is, you know, obviously a, a fantastically talented player, um, but the gulf between him and Kale McCarr, yeah. who was the second leading scorer on the abs was humongous. I, I want to say it was 40 points. Yeah. Uh, I don't have it right on off the top of my head, but it was something like that. And I understand your, your Panarin uh, vote because he, he was playing with Strom, my only thing, the fly in the ointment for me there is Mika Zibanejad had 40 goals. So they didn't play on the same line, but if you're playing the Rangers, you kind of had to pick your poison. Um, I did have Panarin on my ballot. I also had Dreisaitl on my ballot. Uh, but for me, McKinnon, because there was such a big gulf, I said to myself, who was more valuable than McKinnon? If you look at what he did uh, versus everybody else on the abs and Colorado, you know, they did have injuries. So he didn't have Ranton in yeah, all year. He carried that team for a month and a half. He carried that team for a month and a half, two months. Carried exactly. them. So yeah. for me, McKinnon was my selection. I think, you know, the knock on dry saddle obviously uh, is defense. And I will say, you know, in, in, in his defense, because I have no other word to say that, you know, I, I still think that, you know, he, he was definitely a worthy candidate because he scored more than he caused, uh, ultimately. You know, he's not a great defender. Neither is McDavid, for that matter. Yeah. But they score a lot. So, at the end of the day, you know, you, you still want Dreisaitl on your team. Any team in the NHL would take him and put them on their top line. I don't think that's, uh, you know, up for debate. Um, it's always fun to, to talk about these things. And real quickly, another very close ballot was for the Calder. Kale McCarr was the winner. Um, I had Quinn Hughes in what was basically a, a figurative coin flip. I did not yeah. actually flip a coin. Yeah. Uh, I picked Hughes uh, because he had slightly more points. Um, but I love both players, and I thought both made tremendous impact on their respective teams. Who, who did you have as your Calder winner? I actually was, I, it was a coin flip for me and I went the other way. <laughs> I, went, I went with Kale McCarr and then Quinn Hughes. Um, but I, 
it would not have been, I, I would not have, have, have had a quarrel with either one of those guys winning the award. Um, you know, I mean, it was close, but I think, I think there, that, that Quinn, that uh, Kale McCarr got a lot more support as far as first place votes. And that's what pushed him over, over the edge. Uh, but I mean, wow. Like it's, 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 it's like, <laughs> I hate to sound sexist here, but it's like comparing two supermodels. <laughs> you know I mean? Like really, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I watch, you just watch how, these guys play the game and they're both so dynamic, so out, so exciting and, and really like, really like a million years ahead of their, you know, ahead of their age. Right. Like, Oh, for sure. They're just like, like I always say, I always say that Kale McCarr is, you know, he's, he's 21. He looks like he's 12 and he plays like he's 30, you know, like he's, he's, uh, he's, he's remarkable. So I wouldn't have had a problem with either one of those guys winning. I thought that for the most part, we got it right. The right, meaning the writers, you know, Roman Yossi for the, for the Norris. I I thought that was a good pick. Um, You know, I mean, I mean, I, I didn't pick dry sidle as the, uh, as the MVP, but, but I have, I have no quarrel with him winning the MVP. I thought for the most part, there were some, you know, everybody sort of, has these crazy ones like some people didn't have like Nathan McKinnon on their ballot or Leon Dreisaitl even on their ballot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kind of the outliers. For the most part, I think the writers get it right. And I think we did this time too. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was going to say, you know, there, there's like a saying on social media now that like every day is a movie and your job is to not be the main character. And uh, so I will congratulate both you and myself on not being the main character yeah. uh, in yeah. NHL yeah. Awards. Uh, yeah. Our bouts were fine and uh, nothing spoiled and uh, there was no, uh, no reaches there. So I think that was good. I also think that, you know, the fact that they publish the actual vote totals, um, I, I, I also like the fact that they, they tell the public who everybody voted for. I think that was great. That was something that the professional hockey writers association, we talked about it for several years. And, you know, I I know that the, the conversation was uh, very animated at times at those meetings that you and I were, were both at, Uh, but ultimately, um, you know, transparency won out. And I think it's been very good. Yeah. It's been really Um, good. But I think in particularly in the case of this year's Calder trophy, seeing how close the vote was uh, really kind of affirms what a a tough choice it was between McCarr and Hughes. And you you could see, you know, both of us kind of wrestled with which way to go. And uh, yeah, I agree. No wrong answers there. So uh, we're going to go to some mailbag questions now, starting with Joe with the Vikings. And he asks, will we see any offer sheets this off season. Uh, I will start on this one. Um, part of me thought that maybe there would be simply because it's a tight cap. You know, we know it's gonna be a flat cap lower than what GMs would have predicted a year ago. So you do have the chance to kind of mess with another team, but there's not really anybody to <laughs> offer. Shit. There's nothing there. The yeah. best RFAs are Matt Murray, uh, Sam Reinhart, maybe Max Domi. There's, there's not a lot of star power there. Uh, I think, Ken, you probably agree with me on that one. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I, and I think, you know, I mean, the point of an offer sheet is to, 
not do what the Montreal Canadiens did with Sebastian Aho. Like you either try to get the guy or you try to put your, your, um, your competitor at a, at a disadvantage by having to off, match a, a huge offer sheet. And I mean, first of all, none of those guys merit a huge offer sheet. And secondly, if you offer sheet them, you know, at, at a rate that's, that's, that's reasonable. It's just going to get matched anyways. So yeah, I, the, the quality of RFA or the, the star power of RFA just isn't there. And uh, I mean, you know, offer sheets are, you know, are, are, are like, uh, you know, so lunar eclipses at the best of times. Um, so when the, when the crop is like this, I, I, I absolutely think there will not be any. Right on. Next question from frozen biscuits. Where does Matt Murray end up? For next season, I will let uh, I'll let you go first on that one, Ken. Where he is, where he is in Pittsburgh. I think he's going to stay in Pittsburgh. The goalie market's really crazy. Like there's a lot of moving parts. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of guys out there. You know that 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 there's been a lot of talk of moving around. Um, I I just. I'm just not sure that, I mean, if anybody's going to make a trade, it's going to be Jim Rutherford, yeah. right? Because he just decides that he wants to make a trade and he makes it and he doesn't care what anybody thinks. And he just go ahead, goes ahead and does it. But I, I think this is one of those ones where it's easier said than done. Yeah. And I think in the, in when everything is settled, I think, um, I, I think, I think Murray's going to stay where he stay where he is. Mm. Producer Steven is chiming in on the chat saying giving up Murray after one good season of Jerry could be a disaster. So that's uh, producer Steven's two cents. I'm going to float a trade option here for funsies uh, because I do think you make a very good point about how many goaltenders are going to be available. You know, Robin Lehner could be available. That, <laughs> as far as we know, that contract hasn't been signed yet. Uh, you know, Braden Holpe is looking for a new spot for a bit of a redemption after a down couple of seasons in Washington. You know, is Frederick Anderson available in Toronto? Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. But I will, I, I will put this. Matt Murray to Carolina. Uh, and and here's, here's, my, here's my pitch for the deal. Uh, to make the money work and everything and to make the, uh, the, the sort of rosters work, Matt Murray for James Reimer and a second-round pick. So Pittsburgh, obviously, they get a goalie in return who can – be a, a solid backup to Tristan Jari. This is going under the assumption that the Penguins believe Tristan Jari is for real and, and not just a, a really great story from this past season. Uh, and they get a crucial draft pick back because uh, Pittsburgh has been allergic to drafting in the past decade. So this helps them. This would be medicine for the Penguins. And, and uh, finally, their scouts would get to pick in the top uh, 50. It'd be a, a wonderful <laughs> thing for them, or at least the top 60. Well, they lost in the first round, so they, they'd be up there. They, they, would, they would be. That's true. Yeah. Um, and then, of, obviously, for Carolina, uh, you hope that Matt Murray can sort of find his game again uh, behind what would be a better defense in Carolina. Obviously, you know, Pittsburgh has some fantastic two-way forwards, starting with Sidney Crosby. Um, but, you know, the Carolina defense core is pretty immaculate these days. So you get Matt Murray there. You still have Peter Mrazek. Um you know, as your veteran back up your 1B. Uh, so that'd be my trade proposal if Matt Murray was going to be moved. Uh, but I am obviously not saying that that is going to necessarily be the case. Um, our final question, this is another hot stove question from Matt Boehringer or Behringer, I'm not sure. Uh, 
does Matt Dumba get moved from Minnesota? If so, where and what would the cost be? What are your thoughts, Ken? Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of perplexed at this moving Matt Dumba stuff, but you know, I, I, I think he's pretty good and I, I'm not sure I'd want to trade him, but if I traded him, let's say, let's, let's say just for poops and giggles here, we say Buffalo for Casey Middlestat. Hmm. Just Casey Middlestat. I, I would want more. You'd if, want uh, more? Yeah. Minnesota. I, I need some picks. Well, yeah. Okay. Some, some picks in Casey Middlestat, but a guy who need, who's, clearly in need of a fresh start to a team that clearly needs, you know, players, creative offensive players. Um, you know, everybody's getting traded to Buffalo these days or on paper at least is. So why not yeah. Matt Dumba too? Fair enough. And Luke Middlestat, a former Eden Prairie Eagle from the great state of Minnesota. So he would fit in very nicely there. And then maybe the wow. wild draft his brother, Luke Middlestat soon. You, know, you never know. Um, I'm going to say Matt Dumba. And I should preface this by saying the reason Matt Dumba's name comes up, you're right. I mean, he's a tremendous player. He's one of a few players on the Minnesota roster that does not have a no move clause. I believe 99% of them do at this point, but Matt Dumba does not. So if they are going to make a move, they are kind of hamstrung at this moment. Although, you know, no move clauses can be broken by the players. Uh, But I'm going to say Matt Dumba to Calgary for Sean Monahan. The trade is one for one. And obviously, you know, this fits a need for both teams, particularly Minnesota, because they really need help down the middle. You know, Bill Guerin came out and said they're not bringing Miko Koivu back, which is the right decision. Um, I think it's, you know, it's it's time to move on. Uh, They traded Eric Stahl, a natural center, uh, for Marcus Johansson. Not really a natural center. I think Mojo probably works best on the wing at this point in his career. And he's certainly not going to take the weight that Minnesota needs him to take right now. So, you know, Sean Monaghan kind of had a so-so year with the Flames. Maybe a new, uh, you know, a a new address would help motivate him or or sort of get him back into a good headspace. And then obviously for Calgary, you know, Matt Dumba, uh, you know, a kid that grew up loving Calgary Flames era Dion Phaneuf um, you know he, he gets back uh, to his Canadian roots and would be a part of a, a pretty good Flames decor that's kind of in transition now you know Mark Giordano you know how many years does he have left hard to say I mean he is in his late 30s already uh, you know Travis Hamanick is a free agent yeah so you know that gives you a little more certainty if you're the Flames so I think, you know, that would possibly be a, uh, a potential. Now, to uh, end off the podcast, I thought we'd have a little more fun. We're going to do rapid fire, but this is not just hockey. This is hockey and pop culture. For I fun, never agreed to this, by the way. I know you didn't agree to it. This didn't, this didn't cross my desk or whatever they I said. I know. There was, no email tr- there was no email thread about this. Um, but I'll start off hockey um, okay. just for the sake of rapid fire. Alex Petrangelo plays next season for what team? Toronto Maple Leafs. Interesting. I'm going to say the Buffalo Sabres because they've got more cap space and he could play with Rasmus Dahlin, so that'd be super fun. Uh, best Madonna song ever. Go. Um, Papa Don't Preach. Mm, that's a pretty good answer. I was going to say uh, Living on a Prayer. Or sorry, Like a Prayer. Like a prayer, but material girl would be the sort of like canon answer. Yeah, but yeah, Pop yeah. Don't Breach, that's a good answer. Uh, Arizona, playoff team or nah? Not. 
Mm, very good. Uh, blur or hey, what's your answer? Oh, I'm sorry. No. Yeah. No, they're gonna they're gonna slide back. Yeah, you're not getting out of this. Yeah, yeah, good point. Okay, yeah, <laughs> like you're the one who came up with the questions. <laughs> I know. I, I got too excited. It was too rapid fire. It was too much okay. rapid fire. Yeah. Too okay. Uh, blur or Oasis? Blur. The correct answer is suede. Uh, <laughs> that is the end of the Hockey News podcast. Thank you to Ken Campbell. Uh, shout out to Matt Larkin. Thanks to producer Steven. I am Ryan Kennedy. See you all next week.